Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can also check out the podcast at various uh, podcast platforms, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, Good Pods, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can check us out, subscribe, rate, and review, and uh, also get a bunch of uh, different interviews throughout the year as far as film festivals and stuff. Also, check us out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema, and there's going to be some exclusive content coming up, including a sneak preview of my score for Brian Ackley's Player PhD, and that is at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. So this weekend, we have the conclusion, although I'll believe it when I see it, of the uh, Jurassic Park saga with Jurassic World Dominion, and join me to discuss it is a film critic we had on a couple months ago to discuss baseball movies. And this is, although this was actually the uh, genesis of our discussion to have her on the podcast, and it is, please welcome back Danielle Solzman. Thank you very much for joining me again. Thank you for having me again, but I will let you uh, get corrected here as I lose my train of thought. Now, this is not the conclusion to the Jurassic era. <laughs> we still have one more season of Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous, watching okay. on Netflix. Okay, excellent. Um, okay, so at least from the movie perspective, this looks like it could be the end for now. Um, I would uh, imagine we might see some more uh, with the uh, dinosaurs uh, as in, a, in a few years' time, but for now, uh, we are... We're at least coming to a conclusion of the Jurassic World trilogy. Fair. So, um, first of all, uh, I will allow you to, uh, where, where can people uh, read your work online? Salzyatthemovies.com, S-O-L-Z-Y, or you could check out my uh, Twitter and Instagram at Danielle, S-A-T-M. And uh, by... By all means, uh, make sure to check her out, her workout, her reviews. She she does a lot of terrific interviews, and it's it's always it's always great to uh, read what she's got going on. She talks about a lot about older movies, as well as more recent ones. And um, but uh, like I said, we did our our initial discussions in having you on the podcast were in regards to talking about the Jurassic Park series as Dominion was coming out. Because I know that means a lot to you. Uh, before we get into Dominion itself, what is it about the Jurassic Park franchise that, is always, that you've always uh, had a connection with? You go back to June 1993 when Jurassic Park opened. I mean, just the VFX, I mean, what they did in that film, I mean, it's nothing short of astonishing. Mm -hmm. You needed Star Wars, Terminator, pretty much the entire 1980s technology to happen in order for Jurassic Park to even be possible. Mm -hmm. And without Jurassic Park, you don't get the special editions, you don't get the Star Wars prequel trilogies. I'm not staying up until 2 a.m., 3 a.m. watching Kenobi upon launch. <laughs> 
or the Mandalorian. Yeah. No. And we don't get the Transformers movies <laughs> either. <laughs> yes, and I will say, uh, so I, <clears throat> in uh, promoting my own review of uh, Dominion, I, I mentioned that I thought that uh, Jurassic World Dominion was the most insane movie that Steven Spielberg had had his name on uh, since Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Um, and Danielle actually did remind me that he is the executive producer on the Transformers movies. Uh, I, I so associate those movies with Michael Bay that I completely forgot that Spielberg's the one who produced him. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's hard to get crazier than what we see in like Revenge of the Fallen and The Last Night. So, um, but be that as it may, uh, Jurassic World Dominion, I, 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 I think goes to, I think goes to a lot of different levels that we haven't necessarily seen in this franchise before. But to, to concur with what you were saying about the original Jurassic Park, I, I have such vivid memories. This was a movie that I remember seeing multiple times in theaters over a year that was playing in theaters. I mean, that's back back when theater back when movies would play for a year. And um I remember the one of my most vivid memories as a movie watcher watching Jurassic Park on opening day and during the kitchen scene with the velociraptors, somebody was moving down the aisle behind us and brushed up against my mother's hair and just scared the crap out of her. In an already insane, in an already tense scene, and it it's that that's one of those things that you don't. It's a shame that I mean I know a lot of a lot of people have talked about uh, Top Gun Maverick really starting to bring people back in. I know there are other places that have more like more sellouts than not. Um, but I mean I know for me. It's one of those things where sometimes it's hard to see movies like this with an honest-to-God audience and have that type of experience. You don't really... It's hard to get that type of experience. Now, even pre-pandemic, I felt like that was kind of the case. Yeah, I mean, just going yeah. back to that film, I mean, the first uh, shot of the T-Rex, mm -hmm. that was a... I mean, I jumped out of my seat. And then the raptor as uh, Sat Dr. Sattler is going down the panels and mm -hmm. getting all the uh, power back online. It doesn't matter how many times I watch that film. I will always jump at that scene. Mm -hmm. And watching Dominion, where we have the callback. Yeah. And spoiler alert to anyone who's listening without seeing the film yet. <coughs> I thought for sure that there was going to be a raptor jumping out <laughs> because you're not going to shoot that without yeah. doing that. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. And we can certainly go ahead and dig into it. Um, I, you know, and I, I know you, both of us went through the first five films in this series in preparation for Dominion. And I mean, I did as much to, get ready for this podcast for to discuss sometimes maybe bring up for when those movies come up in this podcast. But certainly, I mean, Dominion is the one that I think everybody's going to be talking about. And it's, it's, 
it's interesting because of the fact that I, I was fortunate enough in my screening on Tuesday night, uh, we're, we're recording this Thursday night when it's opening to the public. I know for my screening, it was a combination of not just press and, you know, industry people, it was also audiences as well. And I will say seeing it with some of the general audience was definitely something that made the experience um, pretty worthwhile, even, you know, even if I have some, some reservations with the film it's in general. Yeah, I mean, even in my screening in Chicago, which was a mix of uh, press and general audience, uh, we had several moments where the audience was applauding, myself mm -hmm. included, especially the Dilophosaurus. I mean, yeah, that, we, <laughs> that what is it they say? Carb is a bitch. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot to talk about with this one. Um, you know, and one of the things that I, I will say, like, a lot of my reservations with Dominion basically boil down to the fact that it's it has some of it has some of the loopiest story structure I think of any of these movies have. I mean, even if I'm not a huge fan of like Jurassic Park three, it's got a fairly linear structure to it. Even though the the characters who get Alan Grant back on the island are basically lying to him about why he's there um but some of my issues with that have more to do with the fact that i i, I kind of feel like joe johnson as good of a director as he is he's not as he he works better when the spectacle is focused on the characters and more and not as much when it's just driven by visual effects you know, that, that's kind of where I am with Jurassic Park 3. With Jurassic World, I, I think with, with his 2015 film, I think Colin Trevorrow certainly showed that he is capable of blending that spectacle-driven, you know, the visual effects-driven action with some character moments. And I will say, I think there's some really good uh, moments of that in this film. Yeah, and going back to Jurassic Park 3, I believe it was six weeks out before principal photography was about to start that they scrapped the entire script Yeah, and then had to start over from scratch. Mm. And then when you're that close to production, you're working around whatever models that you already have on hand. You're not having time to make up new dinosaurs unless you have those models on hand. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the things that makes Jurassic Park 3 the worst film of the franchise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, with this one, I, you know, it, I, I think one of the things that's kind of interesting with this one is how, you know, and by this point, by the time you listen to this, a lot of people are going to be, have been able to watch this movie. So, you know, I have no problem going into spoilers with this. But um, one of the things I think is kind of interesting with this movie is the fact that once again, we're dealing with, you know, you, you have this great initial idea at the end of Fallen Kingdom where it's like, finally, we're off the islands. Dinosaurs are on the mainland with humans. 
how is that going to what is that going to look like and i love the promise of what that premise did i think in dominion i think there are times where they definitely landed there are definitely things about this movie that i absolutely adore when they deal with this premise but I can't help but feel like so because of so much of this is dealing with once again this whole idea of are we st- and it's basically the running theme of the entire franchise if we have this type of power to bring dinosaurs back how we use that power and people using it for nefarious purposes in in this case, the character played by Campbell Scott, who seems to be, you know, just the in a way he's almost he almost feels like the evil version of John Hammond, in a way. I I can't really put it any other way than that. But he he's using he's using the same technology to create this that that kind of goes to creating this eco- ecological disaster and that is n- almost has nothing to do with the dinosaurs and i as much and i understand it from a narrative standpoint because of the fact that it's how they bring the legacy characters in but which i i think it's actually a nice way of bringing them in i still kind of feel like it sort of it sort of misses a lot of opportunities to delve into what this type of world would actually look like. Uh, and with Dodson, I mean, you have to remember, he's basically responsible for Jurassic Park closing. Yeah. Because if not for him, you don't have Dennis Nedry shutting down the park. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more written about him in the book that didn't make the film. And I'm sure that's where they draw from uh, as far as developing the character in the new film. Okay. Okay. I, I didn't even, I didn't even, I, I didn't even put two and two together. I mean, I, I, I obviously saw the, uh, the, the whipped cream can, the Barbasol can in, in this movie, but I didn't even, for some reason, I didn't even think about the fact that they're, intended to be the same character Um, yeah it's the same guy but it's a different actor because the guy from the first movie got arrested for sex crimes and he's now a sex offender and so they aren't gonna break him back oh nice wow yeah that's uh yeah and i mean i will say it's like campbell scott is i i will say i did enjoy campbell scott's performance it's the second time in less than a year i i've seen somebody do a really crazy sort of steve jobs type riff on a megalomaniac after mark rylance and don't look up um (laughs) and uh you know i i think he i think he certainly pulls that off well um i i you know i mean i i think if but at the same time i i do like I do like the idea of Biosyn in this because of the fact that it's yet again another care, another company who's trying to, 
you know, utilize this technology for its own purposes, and they're not necessarily good. I, I feel like, and it basically goes to this this whole idea of mankind creating technology that we we just let get out of control with. You know, you you look at with regards to you know nuclear energy. You know, you look at the atom bomb. You we basically it basically goes to the fact it does basically go to the fact that. Ultimately, we are going to be our our own worst enemy and destroy and destroy ourselves because of our ambition. Yeah, I mean, I look at these. I mean, this entire franchise can be looked at as corporation versus science, mm-hmm. and science is always going to win no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mean, I even wrote a bit in my review about climate change. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and I mean that's definitely here. That's definitely here as well, and um, you know, I mean it's it's, <clears throat> you know, and it. I you know, and it's funny because I have so many mixed minds of I'm I'm so much of a mixed mind with this film because there are things about that I really like. There are set pieces, there are sequences in this movie that I really like. Um, but at the same time, I think I feel like there are also things that are, that are so disjointed in it that it's hard to it's it's hard to know. Well, it's like that's that's more interesting. Like like when when we see Owen and Claire in Malta, it it basically becomes a completely different movie because of the fact that you're seeing what has come all of these underground trades in dinosaurs that have popped up as they've hit the mainland, as they've evolved, as they've figured out ways to reproduce. And, um, you know, there are things about that that I really love, but at the same time, it's like, why, why are we going back to the corporate malfeasance here? And, I mean, like you said, it's corporate, it's corporate versus science. It's basically the... Basically, the ethos of this entire series, but it's like I, I I kind of feel like I wanted to see more of I wanted to see more of that promise that we got at the end of Fallen Kingdom. I mean, and you still have Manticorp out there that we don't know what's going on with them. Yeah, I mean, they're they've been the antagonists of Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous and season three. No, season four, when that ended, we found out that the one's father was in a, was either a head of Manticorp or uh, working for them, one of the two. Mm. And so, like, I was expecting a Camp Cretaceous cameo or something to be tied into this film, and unless it's tied in at Malta somehow. Yeah. So, so what are, what are, what are, what is it about? Because I know you definitely, you definitely had a stronger positive reaction to this movie than I did. What, what was it about this movie that you responded to so strongly? The legacy characters, the nostalgia, the fan service. Mm-hmm. I mean, just nonstop action. Yeah. I mean, I got exactly what I want in a Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and just get just getting Grant and Sattler back on the saddle again. I mean, they gave us in this field what I wanted in Jurassic Park three and didn't get. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was I. I do. It is a shame that that was kind of a missed opportunity in three to not bring, to not bring those two back together. I mean, I will say I I do like the way. Like I said, I do like the way they do bring the legacy characters in. I I I think the way that they bring in the characters makes a lot of sense, considering where the story's going. I I think if you'd had like Claire and Owen bring them into things, it might have been a a bit more forced and probably wouldn't have been as believable. So I mean, the idea of these having these two stories essentially collide definitely i i think definitely works really works really well in its favor um i definitely i i do agree with you on the action i you know i i compared the 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 scene malta there's a chasing that really remind me of oh wow i guess we're going for like a jason Bourne or mission impossible type chase scene now but I, I really kind of love how, how that kind of fits in with everything and the way that that scene builds. And, I mean, I'll be honest, it's like there was, I will say the thing that I absolutely loved is uh, where when they're staking out the people in Malta and Claire's in that, like, what's, what looks like an underground dinosaur fighting pit. And it's like it that that scene kind of was like oh so this is kind of like it, in a way it's sort of like the Moss Eisley Cantina scene for dinosaurs, and I I really enjoyed that I I thought that was a great touch to it, um, you know I I was surprised that they kind of sidelined Blue as much as they did in this movie. I mean, it's still a part of the story, but I was kind of surprised that they didn't figure out a way for Blue to be more of a part of this story. Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, Blue is very much a part of the story because they kidnap her daughter. Yeah. Or son. I'm, I can't remember what the I think uh, was, gender was. I, I think it was... Was it? Wait, I, I, I think we'll it just go with child. Yeah, child. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I really, I, I will, I will give them credit in this, in, in the trailers for this because of the fact that it's like, I was like, oh, well, so much of these movies have been about Owen and Blue, you know, you would naturally expect that to continue and, you know, it's, it's weird to see her out of action in this, but like you're, like you said, it, it you know it. She is the key to everything in this, and um, because of the fact that there's the kidnapping, and but I think one of the things that's really the way that they pull that off, though, it's not it's not something I knocked the film for. It's just a, it was just a surprising choice because of the fact that, you know, are are you really going to take a Velociraptor across the world with you? Uh, as much of a positive relationship you think Owen and Blue have, that's not really going to work. But um, at the same time, I, you know, I, I think having that, that gives the movie stakes that 
you know, even you know that that gives the movie stakes. That I think is uh, is is kind of interesting beyond what we already uh, have established in the scene with the locusts and uh, Maisie in general. Yeah, and that was another thing in the trailer when they were talking about they're gonna find her in something. Like I thought they were talking about Blue's kid, hmm. not Maisie. <clears throat> So like her being kidnapped, I definitely was not expecting. Yeah. I I am glad that we got more development of her character and yeah, of me her too. story too because of the fact that it's like it could have just been easy it could have been easy for them to just say, "Oh, Owen and Claire adopted her." And it's like, you know, we that's basically you've got that, you know, maybe you have some tension with that family. I like the fact that they did work in this idea of learning a bit more her her struggling with her identity and trying to figure out what that means. I like that they were able to be able to bring more in for the character. I actually I'll be honest, to a certain extent I kind of forgot Wong survived in Fallen Kingdom. I thought he had I, I and which is boggles my mind because I just watched it on Monday night, but um, I'm like, wait a minute, how did he survive? I I will say it's the weirdest haircut for him, seeing him with long hair. It's like you're in the middle of Europe. I don't think that people are. I don't think you have to worry about people recognizing you in that respect. Well, that was what Colin wanted. Uh, <laughs> he uh, wanted. Uh, Wu to pretty much uh, lose himself. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's feeling so much guilt for what he's done. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's at the behest of other people. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, I mean, when you're forced uh, by these companies to pretty much design this huge dinosaur to break in massive uh, money from tourists, and then all hell breaks loose. I mean, the island's forced to shut down. Mm-hmm. And then you end up working uh, with uh, Lockwood's uh, guy to design the next uh, generation, the Indoraptor, and then that goes rock. And a, and a lot of that comes down to Ted Levine's character just wanting that tooth, yeah, opening <laughs> the cage, and then the Indoraptor tricking him into thinking that it was completely tranked. Mm -hmm. If he didn't do that, you don't have all these dinosaurs roaming throughout the world. Yeah. No, I, I, and I, I love like there, there's, I, I recognize the fact that phone kingdom is not a perfect movie. There, there are things about that are completely goofy, but I, I love all of the different chances it took. It's such a beautiful movie at times. And I love the emphasis on horror in the second half of the movie. It's just absolutely fantastic. And that scene with uh, Ted Levine's character is just absolutely great. I, I, been, I think it had been since 2018 since I had seen Fallen Kingdom last. So that, I had forgotten how great that scene is. Yeah, I watched it. It was either back in January or right after Sundance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I basically saved all of them for the uh, rewatch before Dominion. I, I think I had seen Jurassic Park more recently because, I mean, that's the one I do tend to go to more often than not if I'm watching anything in this series. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I I will say, though, I, I think there, we, we talked about the action. You, you point out the action. There, once they get to the 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 campus the sanctuary the campus Bielson Valley yeah um there are some terrific set pieces like I I really love so many of these set pieces and I I I think you know I mean I I do think Trevorrow does a very good job with them too I mean I I the the scene with uh, Bryce Dallas ha- with Claire in um that that sloth looking Dinosaur, I can't remember what it's called. I don't I didn't even know if we find out the name for it. Uh, give me a moment. <clears throat> I'm going to open up the press notes right now. Because they've got a list of all the uh, dinosaurs that are in the movie. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and they created 27 individual dinosaurs for the film. Yeah. 10 of which had never been seen before in any of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, Therizinosaurus, Therizinosaurus, something like that. The name means dive lizard, a theropod herbivore that lived in the Cretaceous period, but it's those sharp claws that make it uh, really uh, dangerous. Yeah, I I think that that was such a fantastic... I, I that was that was easily my favorite of the uh, the newer the dinosaurs that we hadn't seen before in in this series. Um, yeah, it was, it was just from that design was just what what did for me. I thought it was absolutely terrific. Um, and then I mean the the scene where uh, they crash land and. You know they're they're on the ice, and, yeah, and the raptor, yeah, with wings. <laughs> yeah, that that was that's that's just such a great sequence. And then of course you have to when when you have the tyrannosaur in 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 play. I mean, I I never I count the, Rexy no, out. You, you you really can't because of the fact that basically. Has it, it basically has a significant part to play in? Well, most actually, I think pretty much all of these, uh, but uh, not really so much in, not really so much in three. Well, I mean, it's not the same T Rex. I mean, yeah. this one's the same one from Jurassic Park. Yeah. Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. Jurassic Park saves the day at the end. <laughs> yeah. Jurassic World saves the day at the end. Mm-hmm. Fallen Kingdom, completely different uh, story <laughs> altogether. Yeah. Does basically, I mean, it does basically set up the, uh, you know, it, it basically sets up the idea of what we're, some of what we're going to be seeing in in these in this movie here and um you know it's interesting like what do we make 
I, I think it's kind of interesting that Ian Mal- Malcolm is working for Biosyn. I mean, he basically seems to be in residency where it's like he's just just basically picking up a paycheck from them. But it's interesting that that's how they bring him into the story this time. Yeah, I mean, I was actually surprised. I'm like, why would you sell out like that after <laughs> your experience with the engine over the years? Yeah. After your congressional <laughs> testimony. Yeah. <laughs> but it turns out that it was all because of Ramsey. And yeah. Wanting to get word out there that, hey, we've got locusts that are pretty much uh, causing a plague, destroying the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that, I mean, that was one twist I did not see coming. Yeah, no, it, it's 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 absolutely yeah. I mean, it it's it's very very true. But I mean, I, you know, I I like that there there are scenes in that sequence in general where it's like it's they're hiding. You know, Sadler and Grand are going into the bows and they're trying to sneak around and stuff like that. They show just you know kind of how not subtle they are, but at the same time, you know, you know that they're going to come into, or are going to play a big part later when everybody eventually teams up, because of course everybody is going to team up. We saw it in the trailer that they're all going to be together yeah. at some point. Um, you know, and it's, I, I think there, I think there are some tenuous, story i i think there are some very tenuous story threads in this movie but at the same time i i do agree with you it was it was nice to see sadler and grant together it's it's great to see them with malcolm and i do like the way that they i do like the way that they play with uh ian malcolm and the way they make the character in this movie like you said basically he's on the one hand, he seems like he's selling out, but on the other hand, he's he's there for a purpose that has to do with what we know of Ian Malcolm. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I've certainly always uh, one of the things I've always certainly appreciated, and this was something that I really did come to appreciate when Fallen Kingdom came out, was the fact that it's like I I love that these movies. You know, there there's a lot of, people give this franchise a lot of crap where it's like, oh, nothing was as good as the first one. I mean, the fact of the matter is nothing was ever gonna be as good as the first one because once you establish this world where dinosaurs and man coexist or tenuously coexist, anything you do afterwards, it's going to be hard to capture that sense of awe. That we got the first time we saw the Brontosaurus Rex, or the it terror was a Brachiosaurus. Brachiosaurus, excuse me, and the terror of the first time we meet the Velociraptor in that great opening, and the T Rex scene, and the Stegosaurus, or and uh, and Triceratops, and um, you know, I mean, I I think one of the things that I think is I've come to realize about these movies is that in in a way Spielberg as producer is really I I look at Spielberg as a producer in these movies in the same way I look at Roger Corman 
where he's basically making these B movies, albeit with 140, 150 million dollar budgets, but he's basically doing. He's basically having that. He's basically giving the opportunity to make that type of movie that he didn't really have early on in his career because his 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 time growing up as a filmmaker, maturing as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, came on TV before Sugarland Express and Jaws and all of that. And I, I really kind of love the idea that, you know, with Joe Johnston, with Colin Trevorrow, with Boyana on uh, Fallen Kingdom, he's he's giving these he's giving these filmmakers chances to work in this and just kind of like cut loose to a certain extent without really feeling like, look, don't try to emulate what we did in Jurassic Park, but just have fun with it. Yeah, and going back to uh, The Lost Road, if you remember in Jurassic Park, Spielberg focuses in on the mud falling over the, uh, falling onto the barbersaw camp. Yeah. Because initially the sequel was going to focus on what's happening uh, with that camp. And then Crichton goes and writes the uh, book, which has nothing to do with the can and everything to do with saving uh, the dinosaurs on site B, which was this completely new idea to the franchise altogether. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that Spielberg actually did, well, I mean, it, it's interesting that Spielberg actually did direct one of the sequels because obviously with Jaws, he didn't do that. But with Indiana Jones, he did. But at the same time, I always, I always kind of felt, and I believe I remember him saying at the time, with with the Lost World, he kind of feel, felt like maybe he had to, in order to you know follow up with Schindler's List because of how exhausting I and mean, emotionally yeah. exhausting of an experience that was, and so it's like, oh, okay, so I'll I'll direct this, and I mean, I over the years I've definitely come to think that Lost World is one of the better sequels. I, you know, yeah, the San Diego scene is really goofy, but it's no goofier than anything we see in Dominion or any of the Jurassic World movies. Um, but I mean, again, it's one of these things where even in most of these, and I think three is the exception. I think three is the only one where there's not, it's, there's not really a larger idea in this corporations versus science that you you brought up earlier. I, I think that's the only one that, and I think that's part of the reason why it ended up not working as well as it did, other than the fact that they basically scrapped that screenplay weeks before pre before they made it. Yeah, I mean, Jurassic Park 3 could have been a much better film, but we'll never uh, know. Yeah because they rushed into uh, production. Mm -hmm. And then the other reason why Spielberg went on a pause after Schindler's was he, Katzenberg, and Geffen were setting up DreamWorks yeah. in the mid-90s. Mm -hmm. So that was taking a lot of focus. Yeah. And plus, after doing Schindler's, you want to get back to doing a fun adventure movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because of the fact that, I mean, I for a fun adventure movie, it's like, Lost World is really kind of dark, 
And it's funny because of and it's interesting the way he's he returned to you know iconic movies. You know how dark he went with Lost World, but when he eventually returned to Indiana Jones, it's it's decidedly like it it kind of felt like there's to a certain extent he didn't really he had a harder time I think getting back into that tone, but I feel like almost for some of the same reasons with Lost World, because he, by that point, he had started to take on these darker stories. How do you go back to something as light and as entertaining as Indiana Jones? And, you know, I'm I'm disappointed that he's not going to be directing the fifth one, but at the same time, I can't wait to see what Mangold does with it. Like, I, I think he's going to be such a great choice to tell that story. Yeah, and even though Spielberg's not directing Indiana Jones 5, you know he provided notes. Oh, yeah. You know that George Lucas <laughs> provided notes. Yeah. Oh, maybe. I, I you know, I, I feel like Lucas, it's funny, even though he's not he's not officially to have Lucasfilm anymore, I, I kind of feel like over the past couple of years, he's started to wade his way back into Star Wars, back into Indiana Jones. I would imagine he probably had some input or at least visited the set and maybe had some ideas, had had some fun watching Indiana Jones come back. Yeah. Yeah, that, that could make for an interesting uh, conversation next year. Oh yeah, definitely. I I uh, you know I've I've been a fan of you know Indiana Jones is one of those seminal franchises for me. I mean I was certainly watching those as a kid, and I I remember going to see Temple of Doom and Last Crusade when they happened. Um, you know, and uh, I was a bit too young to really remember Rares and Lost Ark, but I mean I know we ended up seeing it. But and I saw it on IMAX when it was out uh, about a decade ago for its thirtieth anniversary, um, and that was that was just absolutely tremendous. Uh, but yeah, I mean, one of the things I did want to talk about, I you know, you you talked about how drastically different Crichton's Lost World was to what Spielberg had in mind because of he was going to focus on the Barbasol can. I I remember reading about that very famous uh, draft for a fourth Jurassic Park that John Sayles did in the mid-2000s. And one of the things that's interesting is how they've taken ideas like the Barbosol can, like, you know, mercenaries using raptors as weapons of, you know... It, basically being able to work with raptors and taking some of those ideas and really utilize them in the Jurassic World movies. And I, I love the fact that it's like there's a little bit of everything, a little bit of those ideas have kind of made their way gradually in these movies. And, I you know, I mean, there's, again... None of these movies are going to be Jurassic Park's ballpark. I mean, that is, that, is, that is one of the definitive adventure movies of our time. But at the same time, this this is just such a fun franchise because of 
the ways that I think they've been able to play with the ideas of dinosaurs and man and how they exist, how they can coexist, how they try to coexist. And it's, it's you know, I mean, I have my reservations about Dominion. I still had a good time watching Dominion. I definitely won't watch Dominion again because the things that I liked about it, I really, really liked. Yeah, I'll be going back for round two uh, very soon. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know when my round two will be. Hopefully, it'll be. Hopefully, it'll be soon. I know my wife, is, who joined me on the screen, is actually going with uh, her sister and her son uh, tomorrow because of the fact that he's always he loves the franchise as well. Um, but yeah, uh, do you have any any other thoughts that you want to talk about? when it comes to this movie, when it comes to Jurassic movies in general? Well, I mean, this one, I mean, the fan service, like the point of the film where Malcolm lights the fire to distract uh, the Gigantosaurus. Yeah. It's like, you're th- it's like, I'm thinking back to the first film, it's like where he uh, lit the uh, flare to uh, try and distract the T-Rex and ends up getting injured. And in this one, completely different uh, twist. He actually throws it in the mouth to yeah. uh, save them and then uh, gets to uh, safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just enjoyed this one so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, a lot of it's that nostalgic uh, fan service and then just just bringing back the legacy characters. Yeah, no, I'm I- sure if, Rich, if Richard Attenborough had been alive, they would have brought him back too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, you talked about the fan service. I mean, that's certainly something that when the conversation of stuff like Jurassic Park, like Star Wars, like even recently Top Gun Maverick, uh, you know, all of these movies that have these legacy connections and TV series, and it's like, is, you know, I, I think to a certain extent, I, I think the fact that you're excited about some of those fan service moments, you know, I, I think that ultimately shows, you know, I not everything is going to be Maverick in the way they handle what a sequel is going to be to a 35-year-old movie. You know, they had certain ideas that they wanted to incorporate from the original, but ultimately they wanted to tell their own story. This is going to approach it from a different way, so I I feel like, to a certain extent, it's important to take every example of this type of legacy franchise entry on its own terms, and it's like, does it work for the film, or does it take you out of the franchise in general? I mean, I think I think what Trevorrow established in Jurassic World, I think what he's doing in Dominion, I think that those legacy ideas and those legacy moments, they work. Like you mentioned the Dilophosaurus. You mentioned Ian Malcolm. I, it, those things work, and partially because of the fact that they, in a way, they're putting a twist on those original ideas 
they're not just doing it because of the fact that, oh, we're going to redo this. You know, and the idea of the T-Rex ultimately saving the day in Jurassic World and in Dominion, it's done differently than it is in the first one. And I, I think that's one of the things that's really kind of interesting how they've looked at fan service. And I mean, I, I think to a certain extent it gets kind of a bad rap in these movies because these movies aren't... They're, they're not going for the same type of thing that Top Gun is going. They're not going for the same type of thing that the Star Wars franchise is going when it comes to that type of fan service. They're doing different things. And I, I think in, in this case, they're doing it well. But um, yeah, uh, and one thing, the, the last thing I think I'll say is, I mean, I, you know, I think Colin Trevorrow, I think, is an interesting filmmaker. I mean, you you actually mentioned before we got on that uh, you know his, his 2012 film Safety Not Guaranteed is 10 years old this year, and it I I agree with you. It is a fantastic film. It is one of my favorite films of 2012 as well. You know, I think there's a part of to a certain extent, I understand why people criticize him for what he's doing in the Jurassic movies, but at the same time, I think what what he's doing in terms of spectacle, I think is really why he's a good fit for these Jurassic movies. Because he's capable of doing set pieces that are interesting in a way that is also entertaining. And um, that goes back to Safety Not Guaranteed, which is a much smaller film, but it's also it's also a high concept film that I think is as successful in its ideas as something like this is. Yeah, and that was on a seven hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar budget. You give the man a larger playground, and look, and it, he pulls off Jurassic World. He pulls off Jurassic World Dominion. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen his Star Wars Nine, but yeah, that's that's, that's another yeah, story that's entirely. The, that's <laughs> the we need our we need a time machine to go back in time. Yeah, get in the room and change history. Yeah, but yeah, that's one of those we'll never know. I, unfortunately, um, yeah, but I I have another podcast on Rise of Skywalker where I can complain about that one. Um, <laughs> But uh, anyway, uh, one one last time before we uh, sign off, and it's once again, it's it's great to talk to you. We'll definitely we'll definitely work out other subjects to talk about in the in the future. Um, where can people find you, and what exactly do you have going on right now? Uh, Salzy at the movies, s o l z y dot com. And uh, that's uh, and I'm Salzy at the movies on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are Danielle S A T M, and I also do some uh, freelance work uh, for Below the Line. And with it being Emmy season, I'll be doing a handful of interviews over there. Okay, excellent. And uh, Danielle, thank you very much again for joining me tonight. And it was uh, it's it's great to talk to you about this franchise. Yeah.
Thank you for having me. I mean, it's always nice to uh, talk to people and uh, over 280 uh, characters or more. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, as, as, as entertaining as it is to uh, interact with people on Twitter at times, like I, I feel like the longer the the longer discussions, you it it helps to have longer discussions because to a certain extent, because you can learn more about the individual, even if you're talking about movies, like you can find out what they like about movies, what they like about certain movies, and what is important to them about movies and things that you know, might be very personal to them about movies. And, you know, I, I know this, I know the Jurassic franchise is one that's near and dear to your heart, and I appreciate you joining me to talk about it. I'd like to thank Danielle for joining me again. Uh, it's great to uh, talk to her. It's great to get to know her as we uh, talk about uh, some movies that mean a lot to her. That's going to do it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Uh, coming up, uh, we'll have another return guest at the end of this month, talking about my favorite uh, film composer. And I can imagine you probably know who I'm talking about. And in July, uh, we're going to have a couple of other return guests. But for now, that's going to be it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Check us out wherever you listen to the Sonic Cinema Podcast, be that YouTube, Apple, Google, Spotify, Good Pods. Uh, wherever you can also check us out at patreon.com backslash sonic cinema as well as www.sonic-cinema.com thank you <laughs>